What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick Side Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and this is now episode 79. In this episode, I am going to give my top five quarterback rankings for the 2021 NFL Draft, talk Zach Wilson versus Coastal Carolina, the Jets' future, the 49ers trading up to the third overall pick, and why the Dolphins trading back was important. This is episode 79. Riv and Jack are not here. Riv, he works Monday, so he's not able to make it onto the show. And Jack, this is his last day of quarantine. So what that means is that going forward, he probably won't miss a show. Thursday is going to be here. Riv, I believe, will be here on Thursday as well. So finally, we're going to have the full crew back this Thursday. I'm very excited for that. I'm glad that Jack made a full recovery in his quarantine period. And Riv, last episode, he was here. It was a really fun one with a, a friend. Reef Bailey was very fun. But this is the most exciting time of the year for me. The draft season. I know for a lot of people, it is a very exciting time as well because we love to talk quarterbacks. We love to talk about people's futures. We love to make our predictions and, you know, say, is this guy going to be good? Is this guy not going to be good? And boy, I have these rankings and it's there's going to be a lot. You know, I'm going to give you guys a lot of insight on why I rank these guys, where I rank them. If you've ever seen Chris Sims quarterback rankings, kind of how he does it and he formats it. That's how I'm going to do this show. I don't think this show is going to be too long because I think there's only about six, seven topics uh, because I think the analysis is going to be a pretty long. But before we start, I wanted uh, to say something. I- I've started to notice something about myself um, as the podcast has been getting bigger through, you know, each day that goes by, it feels like we gain more and more support. And also on TikTok, I have about like 5,000 uh, 5, followers somewhere around there. And I'm, I'm not saying this to like brag or nothing because, I you know, I'm really not bragging. I'm not that type of person. But I'm saying that to say that when you have people watching you, and especially in sports because sports fans are very passionate, and when you give takes on these players and when you say, oh, this guy isn't this or this team isn't that, a lot of people are very passionate and tend to say mean stuff. And at first, when some of my videos would, you know, blow up on TikTok and have a couple thousand views or more, like the Bradley Bill video I posted on TikTok had like 500,000, people tend to say mean stuff and tend to, you know, say a lot of stuff that you normally wouldn't tell somebody in person. And at first, I'm not going to lie, it really did bother me. I got bothered when people would say mean stuff and they would say, oh, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're this, you're that. But I think I'm starting to grow as a person. And I say that because I'm really, I really don't care about that type of stuff anymore. Like now I can read it and I could just, you know, shove it aside and really kind of stay like intact to stay emotionless, you can say. But yeah, I just feel like I'm growing in that aspect as a person. And I think that's an underrated, um, that's something underrated that people don't talk about much when internet hate in general, people think that internet hate is very, uh, it's very easy to deal with, but it's not. It's it's very hard, and that's why a lot of people have come out and say that they have these mental issues because people on the internet can be very mean 
and can be very aggressive and malicious. So because of that, it is something serious, but I'm glad that I'm starting to kind of deal with it better and better each day. You know, I know I'm not like big time. I'm not big time in the, in the slightest, but just that little following that I have um, for me to feel that way, just imagine how people with way bigger followings have. And I know Jack has felt this way before. We've had that conversation before that sometimes we read the comments on a, on pick a side and we, we, we read the comments a lot. And sometimes the comments are dope and nice and we're, you know, they're super cool. And sometimes they're very mean and they're far left in terms of how horrible they can be. And, you know, it, it gets to us sometimes, you know, Jack and I have talked about it. But, yeah, I feel like I'm growing in that aspect. But the good thing about it is that even though I feel that way, I'm not letting it try to steer me away from giving my honest opinion there are a lot of people in the media that I see now that once they get some hate, they start to backtrack on their take or they see something different. For me, like I believe in the process. I believe in how I work. You know, I really study this. I really put a lot of effort into what I say. So I know I'm not just saying things to say it. So because of that, I think that, uh, you know, I'm proud of myself in that way. So now we're going to get on to the show. I just wanted to share that with you guys real quick before we started the podcast uh, just tell you guys what's going on with uh with my life and how I'm feeling. Finally finished midterm, so that was pretty cool all around. I'm feeling really great about how things are going. I'm hoping that everybody out there is feeling good, and if you're not, I hope that you feel better. But, yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way. So now going into the first segment of the podcast, 2021 quarterback draft rankings, our favorite time of the season. We love talking quarterbacks and listen I'm gonna go straight into it my top five are as goes number one is Trevor Lawrence number two is Zach Wilson three is Mac Jones four is Trey Lance and five is Justin Fields for people that are listening to the audio on Apple or Spotify or any um, streaming platform that you're listening to it on you can't see this but right now I'm showing the viewers my notebook this is my notebook I have over like 20 pages written on each prospect. I'm flipping the pages right now. You can possibly hear that. I have a lot of notes on these guys, so this is not just me talking out of my ass. This is actually me really studying and looking at these quarterbacks and, and saying something. Like, you know, I I put a lot of pride into this, and this is the first time that I actually did this much work extensively to study a quarterback. So now we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about number one and – uh. Trevor Lawrence, I'm going to go from one to five. I know some people go from five to one, but we're going to go from one to five. So Trevor Lawrence, these are his pros. I mean, his size, of course, he's six foot six, right? His quickness popped off on film. Like Trevor Lawrence is six, six, but his running ability is, is very legit. You can run a lot of quarterback design runs for him. Tony Elliott did that at Clemson. Like, his quickness is legit, and that's why he's so slippery in the pocket and he's able to evade pressure because he's really quick. And that that's something that I said, wow, I didn't know a guy this size, 6'6", can be this quick. It was it was surprising on film. Then what I like, like about him, too, is that he's always looking to throw. In the pocket, usually when quarterbacks have that athletic edge, when their first read isn't there, they tend to scramble a ton they tend to not look at their other progressions. But what I like about Trevor Lawrence is that he's always looking down the field. He's always looking to pass. And that's something that I think is going to translate into the NFL, 
NFL. Also, he's stepping up in the pocket all the time. When you look at Trevor Lawrence's footwork, it is pretty good. At times, you say, damn, that's just amazing. I mean, the way he's in the pocket, he's always holding the ball, staying upright. His feet are always moving, kind of like a boxer in the ring that, you know, is always moving. That's how Trevor Lawrence is, and he's always stepping up. He's always sliding. He really maneuvers the pocket well, and that's what popped out as well. And then his his arm strength, he has a really good arm. I wouldn't say it's great. I don't think it's Mahomes level or Josh Allen. He doesn't have that type of arm. But Trevor Lawrence has a strong arm. I think he has a strong arm. And also his toughness. I think Trevor Lawrence, he doesn't look to slide much, which is probably a negative for most people. But he lowers his shoulder. He gets into you, and he's just a competitor. He's a leader. The escapability from him also stood out to me on film and off-platform throws. On film, he throws the ball off his back foot a lot, which is something that you're taught not to do. But when he throws it off his back foot, he tends to complete the pass and he tends to always lead his receiver in stride. Like he's insanely precise and accurate when it comes to that at times, you know, because it's not all the time that it ha- that it happens. And he stays calm under pressure. And like I said earlier, his feet are always set in the pocket. He's very light on his feet. The cons about Trevor Lawrence, and these are more than you may think they're going to be for Trevor Lawrence, but he misses easy throws. There are times when he misses flats. There are times when he just doesn't have enough air on the ball, and it's not even a deep pass. It's just maybe a 15 to 20-yard pass, and there's just not enough air on the ball. Also, his footwork, although at times it does flash, it isn't where I'd like it to be. There are times when Trevor Lawrence make throw, makes throws and his feet are all over the place. I mean, his back foot is like leading toward the other end zone and his other foot, his left foot is not, you know, leading, is not pointing towards where the receiver is. So that can cause some accuracy issues. But because Trevor Lawrence is a freak of a prospect and a quarterback, I mean, he's usually accurate on those throws, but his footwork, they could it could be a little bit better. He also overstrides, which is a problem that Carson Wentz had this past season. He overstrides, and if you guys don't know what that is, it's basically when your feet and your legs are really apart from each other, and when you go to throw the ball, you kind of extend way too much. That's what overstriding is. And also, Clemson had a really gimmicky offense a lot of screens, a lot of short passes. They didn't ask Trevor Lawrence to make a lot of off-schedule plays. And also because Clemson is so dang dang good, he didn't have to make so many off-schedule plays. A lot of the stuff was pretty much there for him at Clemson. But the good thing is that it wasn't a one-read offense type of thing that Ohio State has. He did go through his progressions enough in Clemson for me to say, okay, I think he can do that at the next level. And also, he has a tendency to throw off his back foot, which I mentioned as a pro in, a, in, a, in, in the pros, but that, that's also a con. When you throw on your back foot a lot, I mean, in college, you can definitely get away with it, but in the NFL with better athletes, I, I'm not too, I'm very concerned about that and how he throws off his back foot a lot of the times. And also, he has inconsistent mechanics. Um, the game that popped out to me the most in terms of mechanics Notre Dame, even though he won the MVP that game, Notre Dame wasn't a fantastic or special game from Trevor Lawrence. It was a lot of stuff there. There was a lot of misses there that I wasn't too fond of. Then against Ohio State, though, you know, versus Justin Fields just just a couple months ago, 
that game was very bad. And I don't even think it's all because of Trevor Lawrence because I think that game, Clemson's offense was very predictable. Tony Elliott missed the game, so they had another offensive coordinator step in, and he didn't call a good game at all. Even though it was an ugly game, I don't put too much weight on Trevor Lawrence for that game because I don't think he could have done much to really succeed. I mean, the offense was very predictable. Then, of course, the best game of Lawrence's career probably was Lawrence against Alabama when he was a true freshman and won the national championship. In that game, there was a lot of flashes. I mean, there was a lot of flashes. But he he also did get bailed out by his receivers, and he did have some potential interceptions that just weren't capitalized on by the defenders. So because of that, you know, I think Trevor Lawrence, although he's a great prospect, the reason I have him number one, I'll be honest, is because I didn't truly study him before I made this list. I put him number one off the assumption that he should be number one based off what everybody's saying. But I don't think Trevor Lawrence is generational. I don't think he's Andrew Luck, and I don't think he's Payton Manning. I think Trevor Lawrence's pro comparison is Carson Wentz. Because of the inconsistent mechanics, the problems with footwork, his overstriding, and also I think he has a good arm. It's a, it's a pretty great arm, but it's not it's not a spectacular arm. I don't think he is among those quarterbacks. And also in terms of Andrew Luck, like Andrew Luck coming out of college, he was different. And I saw him. I was old enough to see him then. He was a different type of guy. I think Trevor Lawrence compares more to Carson Wentz because of uh, the traits that he has and because of his athletic ability. I think he can really run. He has Carson Wentz-like athletic ability, and I'd even say he's more athletic than Carson Wentz. So because of that, that's my pro comparison for Trevor Lawrence. Like I said, I think he's going to be a franchise quarterback. I love Trevor Lawrence, but I do think there's a lot of issues with him in terms of mechanics and footwork. That can be worked on, though, because he did show flashes in a bunch of other areas, so it's not like he's not he's not worthy of being number one because he definitely is. It's just that I don't think he's generational as everybody thinks he is. I, I, I just don't subscribe to that line of thinking. But then let's get to the second quarterback. It's uh, Zach Wilson. I think his pros is that he has the quickest release in the draft. It's a, it's a really quick twitch. Aaron Rodgers like now, not Aaron Rodgers like coming out of college because out of college, he did not have that. His his release is super quick. He has great ball placement. His ability to throw off platform is amazing. And unlike Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson was often put in positions where he had to make off-schedule plays and off-platform throws, and he's not reckless. He, he picks and chooses his spots, and the throws that he makes – it's just, wow. I mean, when I was evaluating Zach Wilson, he was as close as a perfect prospect as I've seen in terms of just an evaluation. He was really amazing, and he really caught me. I was love-struck. I'm not going to lie. This is the first time that I that I fell in love with a prospect like this. Zach Wilson, to me, was amazing. But also, he has sneaky athleticism, and he's also dynamic. When people look at Zach Wilson, I've seen him often compared to Baker Mayfield. And while that evaluation isn't totally off, the difference between Wilson and Mayfield is that Wilson, if he were to be Mayfield, he's a more athletic version. And also, he's way more accurate than Mayfield at this point in time, at least. And coming out of college, he has a better arm as well. And Baker doesn't make off-platform throws. He can't throw the ball like Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's ability to do that is truly special. So why I can see I can see why some people may have compared him to Baker, 
I don't think he is. I think that Zach Wilson is in a class of his own. He also has very good pocket presence. He's always active in the pocket. He's always looking to throw. He's able to throw in tight windows. I mean, there are some throws that probably should be interceptions, but because his ability to place the ball in where, where only the receiver can get it, they're not. And I think that's something that's going to translate as well. His arm strength is a major plus. His accuracy and his anticipation are all very good. For Zach Wilson, the cons for me is that he doesn't slide enough on runs. He's 6'2". He has a very skinny frame. He has durability concerns. So because of that, I would like him to slide more because I don't want him to get hurt. And in the NFL, when a linebacker tackles you and hits you pretty hard and you're that skinny in frame, I do have worries about injuries. Also, durability concerns, as I mentioned, that's also a con for me. At times, he predetermines his reads. He mishandled some snaps, but not all. Out of like all the games he played, I counted like four. That was just me being nitpicky. And he doesn't have breakaway speed. Although he is athletic, he is dynamic. He doesn't have breakaway speed. He's not. He if he runs out the pocket and tries to go for a first down, if a linebacker's chasing him down, he's probably gonna catch Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's not gonna break away from him. That's another con. And I think he needs to take checkdowns more. Sometimes there's checkdowns are there, but he doesn't take them. It's not. It's not often, but I mean sometimes they are there. And I wish, man, if he would have checked that down, they could have got a couple yards. But for the most part. Zach Wilson was a very perfect uh, prospect when I evaluated him. And the comp, the, the argument that people tend to make against Zach Wilson is the competition that he played. And the reason why that argument makes no sense to me is because BYU isn't stacked with talent. Dax Milne was BYU's best receiver, and he might not even get drafted in the fifth round. He might be a sixth or seventh round pick. BYU is facing similar talent to what they have. They don't have Ohio State receivers. They don't have Alabama receivers, Clemson receivers, and North Dakota State where Trey Lance went. They're a powerhouse in the FCS. So it's not like the competition argument is really a good one. It's a really flawed, it's a really flawed one. And also Coastal Carolina, he didn't play bad in that game. And I'm going to do a film analysis and I'm going to explain why he didn't play bad later on in the show. But he didn't play bad in that game at all. Like he didn't at all. And I'm going to explain why he didn't play bad. I'm going to show you why he didn't play bad. But my pro comparison for Zach Wilson, this was tough for me because I don't, I don't see a guy like Zach Wilson in the NFL. Cause I don't see a guy that's six two. I don't see a guy that is uh, his height that can throw like him, that has the accuracy like him, that has a quick twitch like him. The closest thing is probably Aaron Rodgers because of that quick twitch. But even Aaron Rodgers, I don't feel super comfortable comparing Zach Wilson to Rodgers. I'm just saying it because of that release. But Zach Wilson, to me, is very different in terms of the quarterbacks you can compare him to because he's not Russell Wilson because he doesn't have Russell Wilson's speed. He's not a guy like Josh Allen because he doesn't have Josh Allen's height or arm strength. He's not Mahomes because he doesn't have the arm strength or height either. So those comparisons comparisons to me aren't on point like that. I think the closest guy you can compare to him is probably Aaron Rodgers. But then, next up, my third quarterback on my list, which is probably going to be debated by a lot of people, or people are going to call me dumb or stupid for having him here, but it's Mac Jones. Like, Mac Jones is a very great quarterback prospect, and I wouldn't be surprised if he turns out to be more successful than Trevor Lawrence. And I know that sounds like a hot take, 
but Mac Jones is, he has it all. Like there are a few things that he doesn't have. One of them is athleticism. But outside of that, when we're talking strictly the quarterback position, Mac Jones has a lot of traits that translate well. And that I was simply wowed by for one, when talking about his pros, he has insane pocket presence. I mean, he, he feels defenders and where they're coming from. He slides in the pocket. He moves away from defenders. He steps up. And the thing about it is that when you're athletically gifted, like a Justin Fields or Trey Lance or even Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, I guess you can put in that category. You don't have to have the best pocket presence. Let me compare it more to Justin Fields. Justin Fields doesn't have to have the best pocket presence because his athleticism makes up for a lot of those flaws. Because Mac Jones is not like that, because he can't escape defenders, if you know, even on a good day, he can't do it. He has to really develop a feel for the game and a feel for the pocket. And Mac Jones has that feel. He had to develop a feel for where defenders are coming from. He had to develop where to step up if you want to get this angle on a throw. Like, the mechanics of playing the quarterback position, Mac Jones has them down pack. And his pocket presence is a, is a gigantic pro to me. I think he has the best pocket presence in this draft. His ball placement is phenomenal. I mean, even people love to make the argument that his receivers were wide open. Listen, he had more tight window throws than Justin Fields and Trey Lance. So his receivers weren't as open as a lot of people like to make it sound like. They weren't wide open most of the times. Jalen Waddle was hurt, and you had Mechie and uh, Devontae Smith. And there were times when they ran some screens for Devontae Smith, but most of the time, Mac Jones was dropping back and throwing 20-plus yards, 10 to 15 yards. Like, he was throwing the ball a lot. And throws weren't wide open. There were a lot of throws that he really had to fit into tight windows, and he did just that. His accuracy is a big plus. He set the BCS record, the college football record, for the best completion percentage, I believe at 77%. I mean, his accuracy is really off the charts. He's light on his feet. So even though he's not agile and can't escape the pocket with his legs as often as other as these other quarterbacks, he's very light on his feet, and he's always active in the pocket. He has a lot of toughness. Um, and also, the, the thing that I like about Jones the most is that he's kind of a perfectionist. Mac Jones doesn't like to be off on the throw by more than a yard or like even an inch. Like if he, even if it's a great throw, but he feels like he could have got it better. Sometimes the camera would shift to Mac Jones reaction and he'd just be hitting his helmet in just anger that he couldn't get a throw where he wanted it to do. I wouldn't say anger, but more like, damn, and I could have did that better. And because of that, I think that's something that is huge. His competitiveness, his toughness, his ability to want to perfect the craft in the game, I think that speaks volumes. And also, he throws it away when nothing is there. And he also can throw off platform, even though he is not that athletic. There are times when he ha a defender is coming, and he has to throw off that back foot, and he throws dimes, and he throws really great throws. So because of that, he can't. he has that ability. He also has a very tight spiral and a very good arm. He doesn't have a great arm, but he has a good arm. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say that Trevor Lawrence has a way stronger arm than Mac Jones. I think their arm strength is pretty similar. Maybe Trevor Lawrence edges him out by like a little bit, but I think Mac Jones' arm is really underrated. Then when we talk about cons, athleticism is one of them. Like he is, he, he is a slow quarterback. He is a like a Matt Ryan, a Kirk Cousins. 
He's not going to escape the pocket anytime soon. You're not going to be able to make design runs for him. Um, he takes too many chances at times because he trusts his arm too much. Because he has great zip on the ball and velocity, he does tend to trust his arm way too much. And because of that, sometimes he could throw into tight coverage. And in the NFL, those might be interceptions. And all outside of that, probably experience, right? Um, He started less than 20 games. So experience is also a concern. But unlike Trey Lance, Trey Lance started 16 games um, or 17 games, I believe. But he only had about 220 throws. Mac Jones had like 360. So because the experience is a problem, but he had a bunch of throws and he dropped back the ton in Alabama. And also another con, the talent he was surrounded by. Yes, he was surrounded with a boatload of talent. So you could hold that against him a little bit. But in terms of the offense, the offense was a pro-style offense. He had to go through a lot of progressions, and that's another pro of his, going through progressions. So because of that, it wasn't a gimmicky offense. And also, he mastered the playbook. Mac Jones knew the playbook so well that when Bill O'Brien got hired by Alabama, Mac Jones taught Bill O'Brien the playbook. Imagine that, a college quarterback teaching an NFL former head coach the playbook to the offense. I mean, I think that's pretty special. My pro comparison for Mac Jones is Kirk Cousins uh, and Eli- and Matt Ryan. But if we're talking about former players, he reminds me a lot of Eli Manning. And I mean a lot. They both were number 10. They both uh, play kind of the same way. That Whenever they throw the ball, they're kind of the motion of it. They, it looks the same. So he reminds me a lot of Eli Manning. But in terms of current players, I would say I, I lean more towards Matt Ryan. But Kirk Cousins is definitely there as well. Then on to the fourth-ranked quarterback, Trey Lance. To me, Trey Lance was the toughest evaluation because he was not asked to throw much at North Dakota State. North Dakota State is a powerhouse, and just for reference, I want to let you guys know how much of a powerhouse they actually are. They have won eight FCS championships in 10 years. That's more championships than Alabama has won in the last 10 years, and we know Alabama is a powerhouse. So NDSU is more of a powerhouse in the FCS than Alabama is in the SEC or in terms of college football. They have had two 30-game win streaks, and they averaged 300 yards rushing per game in 2019. Trey Lance's stats in 2019, he had 42 total touchdowns, and zero interceptions. And for comparison, Easton Stick in 2018 had 45 total touchdowns and seven interceptions. And I know when you look at Lance's stats, it pops out because, wow, this guy has zero interceptions. But that does not mean that he shouldn't have had had them. I don't look at the final result of a play. I look at what could have happened and what should have happened on the play. A lot of interceptions were dropped. There was one game where he had two interceptions and one game dropped. I think in, I think in, it was in a playoff game. So because of that, that number is very misleading, but a lot of people like to use the zero interceptions argument as, an, as a way to justify how great of a prospect he is. And I think he has some good tools, but I just think that's misleading. And he should have had some interceptions. So that in itself is super misleading. But also, he only threw 25 times once in 16 games, and that was when he threw 31 times. He's not asked to throw much. Think about 
Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans offense and Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers offense. But not even that. Think about them in those offenses, but in the playoffs when Jimmy G was throwing like 8 to 11 times a game. That's exactly what it really was. Trey Lance averaged 17 attempts per game in the playoffs. There was one game where he only attempted 11 passes. I think that was in a championship game. And there were other games where Trey Lance, I mean, you could see the coach did not trust him because he had two back-to-back plays that should have been interceptions. I mean, just because he had zero interceptions does not mean he, he shouldn't have had them. That is very lucky. For that to happen to him, it was just a lucky a lucky, uh, a lucky string of events. That's really what it was. But now let's get into the pros of Trey Lance because it's not all negative. The potential in traits is there. He's 6'4", 227. I mean, he has the potential to be something really great. He goes through his progressions well. I've saw enough on tape where he really, he did go and scan the field and go through his progressions, and he really did a solid job at that. His arm strength is also something that stands out. I don't think his arm strength is like Josh Allen-esque or even a Mahomes-esque, even though that's who they like to compare him to, mostly Josh Allen. I don't think he's Josh Allen, but he does have great velocity and arm strength on the ball, and his mechanics are also very solid. I think they're more consistent than Justin Fields' mechanics. He's also safe with the ball. Although he should have had some interceptions, that is not me saying he's a terrible decision maker. That's just me saying that there are some that could have happened, you know, but he's safe with the ball. He's a tough runner. I mean, his running ability is is good. The thing about him that's kind of tricky is that at F, in the FCS, there's not NFL-level talent, so who knows how he's going to fare when he gets to the NFL and how much that running ability is going to translate. And he can throw an out route consistently. I think that's huge. I mean, he has a lot of velocity and zip on the ball, and he can get that out route pretty quick. He can get the ball out of his hands pretty quick and get the ball where it needs to be. I like that about Trey Lance a lot as well. He also has some pretty good agility and shiftiness, and he steps up up in the pocket a lot as well. But now let's get into the cons. His accuracy is very spotty. Specifically, he misses high on throws a lot. There are times when it's a really short throw, and he'll just throw it over the head of the receiver. There are times when... He's pressured, and even though he has a chance to make a dime, there was one play that he had Christian Watson, his top receiver, wide open in the end zone. A rusher came free, and Trey Lance just sailed the ball, I mean, like 10 yards over Christian Watson. So he misses high on throws a lot. That's something that's concerning because his accuracy is spotty. Um, He's stationary in the pocket. There are times when he has some movement, for, but for the most part, it's like he's a statue in the pocket. He's not moving. He's not agile. He's not really feeling nothing. He's just really, like, he's a statue in the pocket. And because of that, that's also very concerning. And a lot of bad reads could have been interceptions, but the defenders just didn't capitalize on those plays. Also, North Dakota State's offense was very easy. It was a lot of bootlegs and rollouts and just finding that one wide-open guy by, like, 5 to 10 yards. And it was just an easy completion. Because of that, you know, I think in the NFL it's probably not going to be like that unless he's in a Kyle Shanahan-like offense. And he didn't pass much. He only attempted 18 passes per game, which is nothing, and started 16 games. He threw 220-plus times about in 16 games. Mac Jones last year threw like 350. I mean, he just Mac Jones just threw way more. And also his athleticism may not translate so that those are my cons and pros for Trey Lance. 
although he does have some special traits, I just think there is a lot there that he's just too raw. And I've said this before. I don't think I draft Trey Lance with a top 10 pick unless I have intentions of sitting him for a year. I don't think he'd fit in Carolina because he's not a drop back quarterback. He's more of a quarterback that would fit an offense like Tennessee or San Francisco or the Rams, that type of offense of rolling out and making these easy throws. And people love to talk about his arm strength, but on film, he was very rarely asked to make deep passes, especially in tight windows. And even if you look at his highlights, on YouTube, his highlights aren't anything that pop out to you. They're just like simple highlights. He has maybe two, three good plays, like great plays. But outside of that, his highlights aren't anything special. So the hype that has been surrounding Trey Lance is very weird to me because, yes, he has the size and the strength and the velocity on the ball stands out. But it's not anything that I go and I'm like, wow, that's like next level special. And Daniel Jeremiah, who I think does a terrific job, I don't want to discredit him, but in Trey Lance's pro day, he said that Trey Lance is a winner because he won a championship with North Dakota State. Almost every quarterback that's been to NDSU has won a championship in the last 10 years. Easton Stick won a championship. Is he a winner? So because of that, I think that's just a lazy analysis. Like I said, I don't think Trey Lance is Josh Allen. My pro comparison for Ryan for, for Trey Lance is Ryan Tannehill. And I know some people may say Ryan Tannehill isn't as athletic as Trey Lance. Ryan Tannehill played wide receiver in college at Texas A&M. And Ryan Tannehill's 40-yard dash is 4.65. Trey Lance's, it's projected to be around 4.5. So the athleticism isn't like Lamar Jackson to like Tannehill. It's not. It's pretty similar. So I think that's a pretty fair comparison for Trey Lance. And then we get to number five. Justin Fields, a lot of people are passionate about Justin Fields because they're passionate about Ohio State quarterbacks, and none have succeeded so far, but that does not mean that Justin Fields can't. But Justin Fields, his pros, arm strength, he has a really strong arm. No doubt about it. His, His arm is strong. His athleticism is very real. I'm more sold on Justin Fields' athletic ability than Trey Lance's. I mean, on Instagram, Justin Fields says that he might run in the four threes. I mean, that's, for a quarterback, that's pretty dang athletic. His deep ball, he has a really good deep pass, deep ball. It's It looks really pretty on film. I, I, I like his deep ball. Um, His toughness, too. When In the championship game against uh, Clemson, not the championship game, but the playoff game against Clemson, when Skowski hit him in the ribs, for him to come back, and play in that game and play well and have that historic performance. I mean, his toughness is off the charts. He is going to really earn the respect of his teammates, and I admire that a lot. His resiliency, the same thing can be said for that same play. Also, his size, he's 6'3", 227, and he's really built like a tank. I mean, he's really strong and muscular. He looks the part 100%. He looks the part 100%. And what I like is that he got better as the season went on. The mistakes that he made early in the season, they didn't pop up as much as later in the season. And his running ability, I think early on in his career, they can you can legitimately design a running offense centered around Justin Fields with a lot of zone read and gimmicky stuff. And I think he can have some success. But just like a guy like Lamar Jackson, I don't want to compare Justin Fields to Lamar Jackson now, 
But Lamar Jackson, we know the Ravens, when they are down, they can't win games because Lamar Jackson can't really win the game with his arm. Even though I think that's a little bit of a false narrative because the receivers aren't good in Baltimore, Justin Fields is more of the same. The running game won't be as dynamic with Fields because Fields is just not Lamar. Lamar is just a different level of a runner. But the the passing does concern me. Like in terms of Lamar's arm coming out of, coming out of college and Justin Fields' arm, it's not close. Lamar's is way better. I think Justin Fields has some serious issues when it comes to him as a passer. His cons, I mean, he's inaccurate on short throws. And I mean, really inaccurate on short throws. There are times when he overthrows, underthrows, and receivers have to adjust to his passes way too much. A ball could be coming here, and you want to throw your receiver in stride, so you want the ball to be like here, and Justin Fields to throw it here. Like, there, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of the receivers really going up high and really having to use their entire vertical to catch passes, uh, to go low and catch passes. So his ball placement is not good for me. His accuracy is very spotty. And even though I do like his deep pass, a lot of his deep passes are his receivers stretching and barely getting their fingers on the ball like this close to it not even being a completion. Um, also, he doesn't have a tight spiral. Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, Lawrence, Trey Lance, they all, they all have some really good spirals. Justin Fields has a wobbly ball. When it comes out, I don't know what it is. It's his mechanics, but the ball is wobbly. It's not a tight spiral. It's not where you would want a top 10 pick spiral to be. It's a really wobbly ball. He, does, he doesn't throw a tight spiral like I mentioned. He also doesn't take checkdowns. He's a, to this point, a one-read quarterback. It, because Ohio State is a one-read offense. Ohio, he, Justin Fields is a one-read quarterback more due to the fact that Ohio State runs that type of offense. But even when that progression is not there, Justin Fields panics, he runs into pressure, and he throws up prayers, and they're just really bad decisions. And that's something that worries me a ton. He's also late on throws. He's more of a see-it-throw-it quarterback, and even when he sees it, he doesn't trust it 100% if that's not his first progression, and he's late on the throws. He doesn't anticipate well, and also, most of his throws are kind of straight-line rocket throws. They're not, um, they don't have any touch. The same thing can be said for Trey Lance as well, and but like Justin Fields barely has touch on his throws. He doesn't, He it's like he doesn't really know when I should throw a bullet and when I should throw a, when I should, you know, have some touch on this ball. He struggles with that a lot. He doesn't throw to receivers in stride, like I mentioned. And also, Ohio State's offensive line was the 12th-ranked offensive line in the nation. Even when defenses would blitz five or even six, the offensive line would completely collapse. And that's because Justin Fields failed to fail to audible and failed to have – Failed to call the right blitz pickups. He didn't know where to slide the offensive line, to slide it right, to slide it left, for it to pinch. He really didn't know how to do that. And because of that, most of the times, he calls that pressure on himself. So at the next level, I'm worried about that as well. And also, he doesn't throw it away. If you watch the Indiana game, that was his ugliest game. And that was a game that really showcased all of his bad, also along with Northwestern. Like, you see plays where Justin Fields... He's about to get sacked when he's running into pressure and he's literally about to go down. And instead of going down, he sees a re one receiver and four defenders surrounding the receiver and he just passes it and it gets intercepted. 
that's something that worries me because if you're a quarterback that you understand the situation, you know not to throw that because you're going to cost your team the possession. NFL quarterbacks, the good ones, just don't do that type of stuff. And his ability to, ability to read the field is very concerning to me. People talk about the 49ers drafting Justin Fields, but Justin Fields is not worthy of that third overall pick. And he's not even a fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense because Justin Fields is the worst short passer in this draft, at least within the top five quarterbacks. Because of that, he's a horrible fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense, which is predicated on the short passing game and running the football. His pro comparison for me is Cam Newton, and not Cam Newton coming out of Auburn or MVP Cam. I mean Cam now. I mean the last couple years of Cam. He's Cam now, not that Cam. So because of that, you know, Justin Fields is my fifth-ranked quarterback, and I'm not very high on him. And I just want to say this. I'm not saying that these quarterbacks cannot succeed, but this is just where I have them right now, and these are my worries and what I like about them. And just to recap it, Trevor Lawrence is number one. Zach Wilson is number two. Number three is uh, Mac Jones. Number four is Trey Lance. Number five is Justin Fields. And over the course of the past couple of years, a lot of a lot of fans have this narrative in their heads that they should take the less polished quarterback just because of the talent, because they've seen what the Chiefs did with Mahomes, what the Bills did with Allen, what the Ravens did with Lamar, what the Chargers did with Herbert. Herbert wasn't bad in college. A lot of folks just missed on him and whiffed on him. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. Because Chris Sims had him ranked high. Mahomes wasn't bad in college. They just they just overlooked too much um, a lot of those off-schedule plays. Josh Allen had a great arm in college and was really good in college, and his talent was bad. It's not like a Trey Lance situation where his, um, his team is stacked. And Lamar Jackson was always a guy that got was under the radar because teams, instead of embracing that running ability, were scared of it. All of these guys coming out of college were way more polished passers than Justin Fields and Trey Lance. That's just the, that's just the honest truth. I don't think that just because these guys panned out that Justin Fields and Trey Lance, you automatically have to take a top five pick on them. What happened with Ryan Mallett, who had a strong arm? What happened with Jake Locker? You know, a lot of these guys didn't pan out, even though they were top picks. That's why I, in the draft, look, the most important thing about a quarterback is how you play the quarterback position. You can have everything else, but if you can't throw the ball in the pocket, you're not going to be a successful quarterback. And to this point, Justin Fields has not shown the ability to do that well. Trey Lance just doesn't have enough games for me to say that he can do it at the NFL level, and he doesn't have enough passes either. So because of that, they're my four and five, and I know that's crazy to say because a lot of people will have them ranked higher, but those are my rankings right now. And, yeah, it's pretty crazy. When I went into, the, when I went into this process, I didn't think that I would have Mac Jones this high because of his, his uh, lack of mobility, but... I was very surprised, but those are my quarterback rankings. Now, Zach Wilson's worst game is often referred to as Coastal Carolina. He went 19 for 30, had 240 yards, a 63 completion percentage, one touchdown, and one interception. The reason why that 63 completion percentage is looked down upon is because for the year, he had a 73 
completion percentage. Coastal Carolina classified as his worst game. I will go over why his worst game was actually a good game. Let's take a look at his incompletions. And one thing to note is that his receivers didn't have their best day against Coastal Carolina. So a lot of these passes were not Wilson's fault. But let's get into it. We're going to start with 10 minutes left in the second quarter. Fourth and one. BYU runs a toss right in which the running back tosses the ball back to Wilson. And Wilson attempts a 30-yard pass to Gunnar Romney. And the pass is dropped. The corner knocked it out. This would result in a turnover on downs and Coastal Carolina would have the ball at midfield. The score was 7-6, to six, then was 13-7 because Coastal Carolina scored on that turnover on downs. On BYU's next drive, they start with the ball at the 5-yard line and Wilson on first down completes a pass that results in a first down on a simple curl route. Two next plays go by. Wilson completes passes to Gunnar Romney, and they quickly move down the field as the clock approaches the two-minute mark. The very next play, it's a zone read play, and Wilson gives a little pump fake, fakes like he's going to toss it back, and runs for about 20 yards. Now on Coastal Carolina's side of the field, Wilson throws a pass to Dax Milne on the sideline, and a play that should have been a first down turned into a touchdown because Coastal Carolina fail to tackle. BYU's defense gets a stop and BYU has the ball with 38 seconds left in the half. After a few unsuccessful plays and a botched snap by Wilson, it's third and 15 and Wilson throws a dime to his tight end down the middle. Near the 50-yard line, now up 14-13, BYU attempts a deep Hail Mary shot in an attempt to get a prayer of a touchdown and the pass was intercepted. And that was Zach Wilson's only interception of the game. To this point, Zach Wilson is 6-13 with 100 yards passing, one touchdown and one interception and one drop pass, and that, in, and that one interception was a Hail Mary prayer. If you want to count that against Zach Wilson and call that a bad play, then I don't know what to tell you. On BYU's first drive of the second half, they come away with a field goal, making the game 17-13. Coastal Carolina scores, and it's now 17-16, still in BYU's favor. BYU gets possession, and on 1st and 10, at the 632 mark, BYU calls a play action. Wilson bombs it 60 yards, and Gunnar Romney drops it. A play that would have set, set them up in position to score at least three points failed. That's now two drops by BYU receivers. A few plays later, it seems BYU was going on a pretty good drive until, on second down, the running back totally misses his assignment to block the free rusher, and Wilson gets sacked, making it third and 20, knocking them out of field goal range. With under 11 minutes left, Coastal Carolina is up 22-17. to BYU attempts to put up points on their drive and is halted by another drop pass. On the very next play... Zach Wilson completes a pass to his receiver, Jackson. And instead of giving up on the play, he ran about 20 yards back in an attempt to make a play and set BYU in a near impossible third and 30 situation. On third and 30, nothing was there. Coastal Carolina would have the ball once again with 922 left. 
BYU's next drive would result in them having 55 seconds on the clock on their own 17-yard line with no timeouts left. BYU is pushed back because of a holding penalty, making it first and 19 with 44 seconds left. On this play, Wilson rolls right and throws it away because no one was open. Second and 19, 35 seconds left. Zach Wilson completes a 30-yard throw to Gunnar Romney. With 26 seconds left, the center snaps the ball on first and 10. Wilson is pressured, rolls right, and checks down to his running back, and he would get out of bounds stopping the clock. Seven seconds left on Coastal Carolina's 32-yard line. Wilson finds Milne again near the sideline on a 13-yard gain. With three seconds left in the game, this is the last play of the game. On Coastal's 19-yard line, Wilson passes it to Milne in a play that would end up in an 18-yard completion, just one yard short of the end zone. Just to summarize everything that just happened, Wilson led BYU on a 90-plus yard drive that was one yard shy of completely having a miraculous comeback. Imagine that. One yard would have changed the entire narrative around Zach Wilson against Coastal Carolina. In this game, there were three drops. If we add those three completions, Wilson finishes 22 for 30, which guess what? It's 73% from the field, which is his percentage for the year. People look too deep into stats without knowing the context of what actually happened in the game. As the media blew up the loss and performance out of proportion, people who watched the game know that Zach Wilson's worst game was actually a good game. I think that Zach Wilson game was really blown out of proportion. I think he played well. And if that's the only flaw on Zach Wilson's resume, his game against Coastal Carolina, I'm pretty sure of him as a prospect now because that game was actually pretty good. And Zach Wilson is right now is projected to be the second overall pick in the draft. And as a Jets fan, that makes me extremely happy because the Jets have had a bad history with quarterbacks. I can't I can't name you the entire history because it'd be way too depressing for me to do that. But let me just name you the quarterbacks who have started for the Jets since 2010. There have been 11. Those guys have been Mark Sanchez, Greg McElroy, Geno Smith, Michael Vick, Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, Bryce Petty, Josh McCown, Sam Darnold, Luke Falk, Trevor Simeon, and Joe Flacco. Also, we drafted Christian Hackenberg in the second round of the draft, and he was a complete bust. Mark Sanchez gave us Jets fans our best two years of our Jets fandom in the last 20 years, probably. I mean, his two-year run with the Jets, it was longer than that, but those two years were very special and will always mean something to me as a Jets fan. In 2009, we went to the playoffs, we beat the Cincinnati Bengals, we then beat the Chargers, but we lost to the Colts in the AFC Championship Then in 2010, we beat the Colts in the first round. Then we went to New England and beat the Patriots in a game where Bart Scott came out and said, 
Uh, I forgot what he said. I think uh, Bart Scott, he was like, uh, I forgot what he said. But we beat New England, and then we lost to Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship. That was very heartbreaking as well. And as good as Sanchez was in those two seasons, it really saddens me to say that he's only remembered for being the butt fumble guy. He's not remembered for beating the Patriots and playing really well in the playoffs as a whole. I mean, Sanchez went 4-2 and two in the playoffs, and his quarterback rating was above 90. I mean, he was very great in the playoffs, regardless of who he was in a regular season. In the playoffs, he was very, very good. I say all this to say that I think Zach Wilson is going to change the quarterback history that surrounds the New York Jets. Zach Wilson, to me, is special. Off-platform throws, his arm strength, his anticipation, his accuracy, and he's also a sneaky athlete. And for all of you guys that saw his pro day, his pro day just showed you what you saw on tape, that he's able to make those type of throws. You know, that, that wow throw he had off his back foot, I mean, that was a beauty of a throw. And I don't put too much stock into pro days because pro days are just pro days. You're not going up against defenders. But nonetheless, Zach Wilson was special on film in his pro day. You name it. I'm in love with Zach Wilson as a quarterback prospect. And I'll be honest, when Sam Darnold first got drafted to the Jets, I was kind of forced to love him as a, as a prospect. I was forced to believe in him, of course, because if a player joins your team, you're going to root for them. You're going to really, you're going to hope that they succeed. Sadly, Darnold to this point had, had not succeeded, but I think Zach Wilson will. And if you want to know more about Zach Wilson as a person, watch the documentary Deep Blue, Zach Wilson on YouTube. It's going to change your perspective on him or reinforce your perspective on him as a person when you watch that. He threw for 3,600 yards, 33 touchdowns, and three interceptions at BYU in 2020. And although I'm not a stats guy, I'm a film guy. Um, I'm not a stats guy. Those stats are really good. And people often use a competition argument against Zach Wilson. And to me, that makes no sense because BYU isn't stacked with talent. Dax Milne is their best receiver. He's probably going to be a fifth round pick at best. And Gunnar Romney, his other receiver, was really dropping a lot of passes. I mean, out of every five passes, he'd probably drop one. And BYU is facing similar talent to what they're they're facing similar talent to what they have on the field. I mean, they don't have Zach Wilson didn't have Ohio State receivers. He didn't have Alabama receivers, Clemson receivers, and NDSU where Trey Trey Lance went. That's a powerhouse of a school in their conference. Then another argument is that Zach Wilson is a one year wonder. And for me, okay, you can maybe say that, but in 2019, Zach Wilson dealt with the wrist injury and a shoulder injury. It's not like he was really himself that year. I think 2020 was the first year that he was able to be healthy and actually have a full offseason. And even if 2019, he wasn't that good, that just tells me that he got better. Don't you want your quarterback to get better? You know, after all the decades of bad quarterback play that us Jets fans have had to deal with, botching on picks, no fan base deserves a franchise quarterback more than New York Jets fans. And I believe that Zach Wilson is going to be that franchise quarterback, that franchise quarterback that we thought Sanchez was going to be, that franchise quarterback that we thought Geno was going to be at one point, that franchise quarterback that we thought Sam Darnold was going to be. I think Zach Wilson is going to be that. And I'll be honest, 
Joe Douglas to me, I criticized him a lot because I thought that I didn't want Jamal Adams to get traded. Uh, I didn't like how he handled some situations. I, I wanted to bring back Robbie Anderson. But I'll be honest, to this point, Joe Douglas has proved me wrong. He has drafted well. Denzel Mims, Ashton Davis, Makai Becton, even Brayden Mann, our punter. He's drafted well. And this free agency period, he's done a heck of a job. Getting Carl Lawson, a really good edge rusher. Getting Corey Davis, a good wide receiver. Getting LaMarcus Jr., who was not good in, in Las Vegas, but who can still be a very productive player. Getting Sheldon Rankins, another guy who can be very productive. Gerard Davis, Tevin Coleman, Tyler Croft, Keelan Cole, Justin Hardy, Dan Feeney. I think this offseason was a success for the New York Jets. And Joe Douglas is slowly but surely building a very good culture around the Jets' name. And Robert Sala coming in is kind of reinforcing that culture, that that change in culture, because everybody loves Robert Sala, the energy that he brings, the, you know, him being there for his players. I think the Jets in a few years are going to be one of those teams that we look at as a good place to that players want to play at because it is in New York and because we are building a very good culture. And what I like the most is that Joe Douglas, at least to this point, has proven that he knows how to draft. And all great teams are, are built through the draft at first. And because of that, I think we're in good position. I hope the Jets draft Zach Wilson with the number two pick because I truly think Zach Wilson is, is going to be special. And I hope that he is as a longtime Jets fan that has been hoping for a franchise quarterback for years now. I really hope that he is. As everybody knows, some breaking news happened during Zach Wilson's pro day. The Dolphins traded down to the sixth overall pick. But what was crazier that happened was that the 49ers traded up to the third overall pick, which means they are probably going to take a quarterback. This move was very surprising to me because I like Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. Um, people have been very disrespectful and demissive of how good Jimmy G has been with the 49ers and when he's played. And because of that, this move shocked me. But obviously, because they made this move, they are looking at Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and maybe Zach Wilson if he does fall to three. There are two scenarios for the San Francisco 49ers that I envision happening with the third overall pick. The first one is that they want an NFL-ready quarterback, and right now that's Mac Jones. If they want to go the route of getting a quarterback that can help them win right now, then that guy is Mac Jones, no doubt about it. If they want to go the route of taking a project, I think they go Trey Lance. I don't think Justin Fields is even in the conversation of being the third overall pick, and the reason I say that is because He's the worst short passer in this draft in terms of the top five quarterbacks of Wilson, Lawrence, Jones, Lance, and, of course, Fields. Shanahan's system, the West Coast offense, is predicated on the short passing game and the running game. Justin Fields can only offer one thing to that, and that's his running ability. He can't. He's not an accurate enough short passer to fit the system. And even today in Kyle Shanahan's press conference, he talked about it and said, 
at the end of the day, you can have the athleticism, but if you can't stay in the pocket and play the quarterback position, it's not going to it's not going to offer much. And right now, I don't think that's Justin Fields. So the 49ers traded the 12th pick, two more first rounders, and a third rounder to move up from 12 to three. So that means that, of course, they're getting a quarterback because you don't trade that much to get a quarterback. It also tells me this. You don't trade three first-round picks to move up to three and draft a project, a guy that you're not sure about, a guy that you think might or may not pan out. And the two guys that are projects are Justin Fields and Trey Lance. I'm predicting that Mac Jones is going to be the third overall pick in the NFL draft. And if they don't take him, I'd really be surprised. And in fact, they should take him. Please tell me this. Why would it be why would it be smarter to to draft a project in Lanton Fields than an NFL ready guy in Mac Jones? Mac Jones is better than Justin Fields and Trey Lance. The, the line of thinking that oh, just draft Lance and Fields because maybe they can become Josh Allen or this and that is really stupid to me. And the reason why it's stupid is because, one, they probably won't become that. Two, they're different prospects than those other guys coming in. And three, the 49ers want to win right now. They want to win right now. They can't take a chance on a guy. This This move was not for a project. It's smarter to take Mac Jones because... It's not like Mac Jones has hit his ceiling. He's like 22. Mac Jones has not hit his ceiling. Mac Jones is still going to get better. But right now, he's better than these guys, especially as a passer. If you want to talk about athleticism, yes, Fields and Lance are more athletic. But when talking about playing the quarterback position, that's Mac Jones. Jones has a good arm, great anticipation. He's elite at reading defenses. He has a great pocket presence. And He has a passionate approach to the game. When I've seen him, I think he's a perfectionist. There are times where he'll miss a throw by a little bit and he'll be frustrated and disappointed because he knows he could have done better. To me, that shows competitiveness. That shows drive and passion for wanting to perfect your craft. Out of every quarterback in this draft class, whether it be Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Fields, Lance, Matt Jones, to me, has the best pocket presence out of all of them. And it's not even close. And you want to know why? Because when you're athletic, when you have gifts, athletic ability, you don't have to be great in the pocket or have great pocket awareness because you can just run out of it. You can just run out of the situation. Mac Jones didn't have that luxury. So he had to really develop and hone in that skill. That's why he can feel rushers. He knows when to step up. He knows when to slide. He knows when to move right, left. He knows that. That's why I think he's just such a better prospect than Fields and Lance. He's a much he's much farther ahead in the quarterback process than those guys. And also, another thing I love about Mac Jones is that he didn't get to play. People talk about Mac Jones' lack of experience, but the thing is that he was sitting behind Tua. Mac Jones was sitting behind Tua. And instead of crying about it and transferring to another school, which is what Justin Fields did, Justin Fields didn't start over Jake Fromm, and now all of a sudden wants to transfer to Ohio State. And I get it. That was a good decision for him. But Matt Jones wasn't in somber. He didn't cry. He worked. 
He grinded. He learned the offense. And guess what? When he stayed, he remained patient. He worked in silence. He mastered the playbook. And he had a fantastic season and is now a first-round quarterback. Other prospects would have transferred. That's what Fields did. He left Georgia. Jones, once he got his opportunity, he showed that he probably was better than Tua. And I think this past season, you watch Alabama with less talent, he was better than Tua, and he's a better prospect than Tua coming out. He mastered the offense. He mastered Steve Steve Sarkeesian's offense so good that he taught Bill O'Brien, a former head coach, the offense. Something has to be said for that type of amazing football character, but character in general. Most young people in the first in the face of adversity automatically run away from it. Oh, you don't think I'm better than this guy? Okay, I'm going to go to the school where they are going to coddle me and give me everything. Jones didn't do that. He stayed long-term. He knew that Alabama is going to develop me into a good quarterback. So because of that, I'm going to stay here. And guess what? He was right. He banked on himself. He banked on the people in the building. He trusted them, and he overcame it. And now look at where Mac Jones is right now. To me, I think he's Eli Manning. That's my comparison. But if you want to talk current players, he's Matt Ryan or Kirk Cousins. And that's exactly the kind of guy that Kyle Shanahan likes. I mean, in Washington, he drafted Kirk Cousins. Fun fact, Kyle Shanahan did not want to draft Robert Griffin. The Shanahan family did not want to draft Robert Griffin because he was a great rookie. He had great running ability, but he wasn't a good passer. And ultimately, his career failed because he wasn't able to pass the football because the quarterback position is about passing the football. It's not about who runs a better 40 time. And that's why Tom Brady is the GOAT. Kyle Shanahan with Kirk Cousins, he developed them. And it's also safe to note that Kirk Cousins did not play great under Kyle Shanahan. Kirk Cousins played great after, but they did draft Kirk Cousins because they believed in him in the fourth round. But then in 2016, with Matt Ryan, Kyle Shanahan, they almost won a Super Bowl. Matt Ryan won MVP that year. If it's not for them blowing a historically great lead, they would have won the Super Bowl with Matt Ryan. And Matt Jones, to me, is Matt Ryan. Of course, if he is drafted, the expectation around Matt Jones is that he better lead the 49ers to the Super Bowl. But guess what? That's for any quarterback they draft, whether it be Zach Wilson, Lawrence, if, you know, God so helps it happen that way, if it's um, Trey Lance or Justin Fields, any quarterback that is drafted to San Fran, the expectation is to win the Super Bowl. Right now, at the quarterback position, as a quarterback alone, are you trusting Mac Jones, Trey Lance, or Justin Fields to win you a Super Bowl? Not four or five years from now, not banking on their potential, I'm talking about right now, it's Mac Jones. Mac Jones is more ready to lead a team right now. People are so sold on Fields and Lance because of how Allen, Mahomes, Herbert, and Lamar developed. But Trey Lance and Josh Allen is such a lazy comparison to me. He doesn't. Trey Lance does not have the arm strength of Josh Allen. They just compare those two because they w- both went to small schools and they're around the same height. That's really it. Fields nor Lance have Mahomes' arm or Herbert's arm or Allen's arm, and Herbert's college offense held them back. 
the only reason people were hesitant on Herbert was because they thought the reason that they're all, that Oregon's offense threw a bunch of screens was because of Justin Herbert's lack of ability and the lack of trust the coaching staff had in Herbert. But in reality, it was because the offensive coordinator just sucked. That was really the reality. Justin Herbert was able to do what he's doing now. He just was never given the opportunity. I say all this to say this. We always want to compare these guys to the top quarterbacks because of potential, but they just don't have their gifts that those other top quarterbacks have. People compare Lance and Fields to Lamar's running ability. Lamar's running ability is far superior to those two. And also, we want to talk about projects and players with potential or dual-threat quarterbacks. The, the ability to be a dual-threat quarterback is so overrated to me. Tim Tebow didn't pan out. Matt Leiner didn't pan out. Jake Locker didn't pan out. Robert Griffin III didn't pan out. Marcus Mariota didn't pan out. Mitchell Trubisky didn't pan out. And Marcus Mariota and Robert Griffin III were way better prospects coming out of college than Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Lance nor Fields are better than Robert Griffin III or Mariota coming out of college. Playing quarterback is always about your arm, accuracy, decision-making, and anticipation. The only reason why people are low on Mac Jones is because of two things. Because he played for Alabama and he had a stacked roster, even though he had a less talented roster than Tua, and yet last year everybody mocked Tua first or fourth where they mocked him. They all, uh, most people had Tua as the number one quarterback. And also because he's not a great athlete. But I don't care about you being a great athlete. I care about you being a quarterback because the quarterback is not being about a. It's not. It's not about being the the best athlete. It's out. It's about being the best quarterback. Like I said, playing the quarterback position will always be about your arm, your accuracy, your anticipation, and ability to read defenses. Justin Fields and Trey Lance aren't even close to Mac Jones when it comes to that aspect of the game. And that's why not only should the 49ers draft Mac Jones, but 49ers fans should be happy if they draft Mac Jones. And I already know how all of this is going to go down. The 49ers draft Mac Jones, number three overall, and everybody's going to hate it. Everybody's going to clown the 49ers for it. But guess what? If Mac Jones starts week one, and Jimmy, D, and Jimmy G does not, in Kyle Shanahan's offense, with those weapons, Mac Jones will be the offensive rookie of the year. I'm going out on a limb and saying that. If he, in fact, does start week one and is in that offense, it's probably going to happen that way. A lot of people are going to be eating their words on Mac Jones. I'm telling you. And I know people, people are going to laugh at the pick. I've always said this. His floor is eight at Carolina. There is no way he gets past eight. And yet there are some people that think that he was going to be there at 15 or 12. No, he was not. Matt Jones was not falling to 12. No, no, no way in hell he was falling to 12. No way. Fans are higher on Jones and Lance because of potential. But Matt Jones is actually the sleeper quarterback and the most underrated quarterback in this draft because of his lack of athleticism and because he was an Alabama quarterback. So I'll say it again. They're going to laugh at the pick. But if you watch film and you watch Mac Jones, you know 
it was actually a good pick, and I hope the 49ers do, in fact, take Mac Jones with the third overall pick. The team that traded with the 49ers to move back was the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins traded from the third spot to the sixth spot, and them trading down means more than you think. And the reason for that is because the Miami Dolphins trading down to the sixth overall pick tells me that they're all in on Tua. The Dolphins have a boatload of assets going into the future. I mean, they have two first-rounders this year, six and the 18th pick. They have two first-rounders next year, and they have two first-rounders in 2023. So that's six first-rounders within the next three drafts. When you're in a relationship, we as humans love reassurance. We love reassurance. And if you are in a relationship, one of the most important things is reassurance. The Dolphins trading out of three was reassurance to Tua that, yes, you are our guy. We are going with you 100% moving forward. And whenever somebody reassures us, whether it's in a relationship or a friendship, whatever it may be, we feel good about it. We feel, wow, this person really cares about us. They're going out of their way. They are doing what they don't have to do. This move was necessary to do. The reason for it is because with all the criticism that Tua Tagovailoa has been facing, it has to be getting to his head. I mean, he's a young guy. I mean, anybody his age would be feeding into this and it would really be messing you up in a negative way. Unless Tua has some crazy type of mental strength, which I don't rule out that he doesn't because he is, I think that he has to be mentally strong to kind of hold it all together with all the criticism that's been floating around his way. Um, but him being a young person, obviously, this should have probably affected him, all the rumors surrounding his future with Miami. But this move removes all of that fog in the air. And the thing about it is that this narrative that Tua was bad his rookie year and that the Dolphins needed to move on from him and draft a quarterback was super overblown. And I'll say this once because I say it every time I do a Dolphins segment because I don't want people to act like I'm backtracking on my take. I I don't think Tua's going to be special, but I think he's going to be good. And I never, people that call rookie quarterbacks a bust or quarterbacks that haven't even been in the league bust already are kind of stupid because you can't, there's no way of telling that. You are just making a hot take to get some views or whatever. There's no way of telling that. You can't tell if a rookie is a bust in his first year. It's just impossible. It's just impossible. You would have thought Alex Smith was a bust if, if you think that way. So because of that, you know, coming off a bad hip injury, Tua was really against all odds. He came off a career-threatening hip injury at Alabama. He had no offseason, and really, he wasn't even supposed to play his rookie year. They were talking about setting him out the entire year because he needed some time. But in his eight starts, he had a 64 completion percentage, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions, an 87 quarterback rating, and went 6-3 and three as a starter. And mind you, Chan Gailey was holding back that offense a ton. Fitzpatrick even came out in an interview and on, on Colin Coward's show and said that the narrative around Tua has been unfair. And Tua has no ego and has a lot of mental toughness and is a, is a good quarterback. 
So Ryan Fitzpatrick even notices this pattern of this kind of very biased narrative around Tua. In this draft, with the assets that the Dolphins have, the two first-rounders, I think they should go with two, two positions. I think they should go with offensive tackle, and I think they should go with uh, edge rusher. I would go Panay Sewell with the sixth pick, and at the 18th pick, I'd go Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, Gregory Rousseau at the 18th pick. I'd get an edge rusher. I said it earlier this year. I think that Tua is going to shut down a lot of the criticism around him in terms of he's not going to be a good quarterback, he's this, he's that. I think he's going to shut down a lot of that criticism. They have a lot of weapons. Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, Preston Williams, Jakeem Grant, Mike Gesicki, and Miles Gaskin, but they probably do upgrade at running back. The Dolphins also have co-offense coordinators, which is something that they're experimenting with, but it might work out. And Eric Studsville and George Godsey. I mean, it, it might work out. We don't know. But I'm glad the Dolphins traded back. And the reason why I'm glad that they traded back is because they reassured Tua that he is the leader of this team going forward. And I like that because all of the negative press surrounding Tua has been kind of unfair and very biased to me. And I'm just glad the Dolphins did, in fact, make this move. It, it really, I think it means a lot to Tua and it's going to mean a lot for his mental health, and I hope that he does succeed next season. Since the 49ers traded for the third overall pick, that leaves a question in the air. And the question is, is Jimmy Garoppolo going to start? Is he going to get traded? Nobody really knows the answer to that right now. But I'll tell you this. There is one team that should trade for Jimmy Garoppolo and I think if this one team were to trade for Jimmy, they'd be instant. They'd be an instant playoff team. That team is the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos trading for Jimmy Garoppolo makes perfect sense. When you look at the Broncos, they are ready to win right now. Their quarterback is really the only position that's holding them back. It's been holding them back since Peyton Manning left. That's really it. As good as a quarterback that John Elway has been, He's been horrible at evaluating what quarterback should be his successor, his successor, basically. In 2020, the Denver Broncos had some notable injuries on their team. Cortland Sutton missed the entire year. Von Miller, Bryce Callahan missed about six games. And Jarrell Casey only played three games. So they, those are some big pieces. But and, and the thing about it is that I know that they have Drew Locke. But I just don't believe in Drew Locke's potential. I can see why people are still sold on Drew Locke, but I just don't see it. You know, I think I personally have seen enough. Um, he's not accurate enough for me. He's only He only completes 50, 57% of his passes. So I think the Broncos are should be done with the Drew Locke phase of the history of the franchise. They should be done with this phase. In free agency, they had a really underrated free agency they signed two key guys, Kyle Fuller and Ronald Darby. What that tells me is that at the eighth or the, the ninth overall pick, they're probably not going to go with the cornerback because their secondary is stacked. Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby, Bryce Callahan, Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson signed back, and Michael Ojemudia, who was a rookie last year, showed some flashes. 
So I think he's only going to get better. There's no reason for the Broncos to go out and draft a corner in, with their first pick in the first round. No way. Also, Von Miller's coming back, so Bradley Chubb and Von Miller are going to make up a really great pass rush. Shelby Harris got re-signed. He's one of the better defensive tackles in the NFL. And the only position that you look at on the Broncos roster and see that they need to upgrade are two, the quarterback and linebacker. Right now, Josie Jewell is starting for them, and I don't think he's that bad, but he's not a guy you want to be starting. But just look at this. Their offense has Melvin Gordon, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick, Noah Fant, and their role line is okay with um, Garrett Bowles, Jawan James, Dalton Risner, Lloyd Cushenberry, and Graham Glasgow. I think they have a pretty good roster. Jimmy Garoppolo is a quarterback that I think can take them from an underachieving team to a consistent playoff contender year after year. Because I think the Broncos with Vic Fangio, if they stay healthy, are going to have an elite defense. And I think their offensive weapons are enough for them to be a great offensive team. Regardless of your perception around Jimmy Garoppolo, you really can't deny what he's done. And the perception around him is that he's a game manager. He's not that good. The running game carried him. But he's 24 and yet as a starter. His first full year starting at quarterback, he went 13-3, and threw 27 touchdowns to 13 interceptions, and had close to 4,000 yards, and had four fourth-quarter comebacks and four, fourth, and four game-winning drives. So he wasn't carried like everybody said. He also had a 102-quarterback rating. He was one pass away from winning a Super Bowl. Imagine that. The, the only thing that uh, is really hampering Jimmy G's career is his injuries. But, I'll, you know, Jimmy G is not elite, but... I think he's a very good quarterback. I would put him in the Kirk Cousins tier, the Dak Prescott tier, the Derek Carr tier. That's what Jimmy Garoppolo is to me. But somehow people have him in like the Teddy Bridgewater tier. He's not that. Jimmy G is a very good quarterback. His downfall is injuries. Since being with the 49ers in 2017, he's missed 23 starts. He had, he had a torn ACL and a high ankle sprain last year. He had a torn ACL, I believe, in 2018. Jimmy G's on an expiring contract. If I were the Broncos, I would trade a mid-round pick for Jimmy G, maybe even higher. I'd roll with him in 2021. And with the ninth overall pick in the draft, I'd draft Trey Lance or Justin Fields to have that successor and project of a quarterback. And now you have a quarterback who can take you can take a risk on and a quarterback who can win games now. And... Even if they don't draft a quarterback and they go with Micah Parsons or Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, I'd be totally fine with saying that Jimmy G's a franchise quarterback because I think he can be a franchise quarterback. Ryan Tannehill got paid big money by the Titans. Why can't Jimmy G get paid big money by the Broncos? I think Jimmy G with the Broncos is a better team than the Titans right now with Tannehill in the past two years, if I'm being honest. I'm almost certain if Drew Locke is not the quarterback next year and Denver were to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, they'd be a 10-11 win team. No doubt about it. Pat Shermer with Jimmy Garoppolo can be a good offensive coordinator and quarterback dynamic, and I think they should trade for him. Like I said, you know, I know, I know the 49ers are moving on from Jimmy G, 
But I think that's more due to the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo just can't stay healthy. You you can't rely on him. And a report came out earlier today that a a, a former Patriots player said that nobody in the Patriots locker room was able to rely on him because they thought he was made of glass. That's really been his downfall, his injuries. But if I'm the Broncos and I've been looking for years for a good quarterback, just some good quarterback play, what's the problem in bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo to be your bridge quarterback or be your franchise quarterback? I really don't see the problem. Like I said, I think with Jimmy G, the Broncos are a playoff team. And in that division with Herbert and Mahomes and uh, Derek Carr, Yes, he probably is the worst quarterback in that division, but that still does not mean that they cannot win games with him. I think they still can. So because of that, I think the Denver Broncos should trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. That's going to do it for this episode. This is now episode 79. We're one episode away from 80. I feel like every single time we hit another like 10 episodes, like whether it be 60, 70, 80, 90, it's always a huge milestone. I can't believe that I've done... 79 episodes to this point. I mean, I know like a uh, like Jack Jack came on like the 30th episode or 40th, somewhere around there. Riv it like comes every other episode. Like I've been here for all 79 episodes, which is pretty crazy that I've been doing this this long. I'm super appreciative for everybody that's been listening. Uh you as always, you you guys can follow us on uh Instagram and TikTok at Pickside Podcast, on Twitter at Pickside Pod. And if you guys want to, you guys can review and rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And I just want to say this, man. I hope you guys learned something from this from this uh, podcast or video. If you're watching this on YouTube, you learn something about the quarterbacks. Even if you even if you disagree with me, you know, let's have a discussion about it. You know, I'm not uh, as long as it's not malicious, you know. But we can have a discussion about it. But I'm I'm really appreciative you guys tuned in, and thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you next time. This is BJ Kissel from KC Sports Network. In case you didn't know, the show you are listening to right now, as well as our shows, are a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they work together. It's something we've actually done locally with our network in Kansas City as well. We're all stronger together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised more than $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be a part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which will in turn help this show continue to grow. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash BlueWire.